Hello and welcome to episode two of the Bible and Me podcast. This episode is hosted by Nigel Watts and our guest today is Reverend Craig Riles, the rector of St. Paul's Parish in Salisbury, Wiltshire. The Bible and Me podcast shares testimonies of influential Christians and how the Bible has transformed their lives. And I am absolutely delighted to welcome Craig Riles with us today. Uh, Craig, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, on Twitter, you describe yourself as husband, dad, committed follower of Jesus, fanatical about film, lover of good coffee, um, and you are the team leader and senior pastor of St Paul's Church in Salisbury. Uh, I understand you don't like administration so much, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure there are lots of folks out there listening to this who can say loud amen to that as well. Married to Kim, and you, and you have three children. Uh, Craig, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks, Nigel. Great to be with you. And uh, thanks for the great coffee as well. <laughs> not bad. Four out of five. <laughs> <laughs> well, not so much coffee connoisseurs here. Craig, a uh, simple question, open question. Um, how did you become a Christian? Uh, well, I, I think I've always been around church. So uh, as a child, my mum taught Sunday school and uh, took us along to uh, a local Anglican church. Uh, it was pretty much a run-of-the-mill kind of church. It was fairly traditional. They wore sort of robes. It was quite liturgical. But in that mix, one of the things that I did hear about was who Jesus was and what he had done and so having kind of heard the story of, of, of Jesus and and the things that he did you know the classic things you would hear in Sunday school that impacted me enough to think there's something incredible about this person Jesus and actually even from the age of a child I never had a problem believing in who Jesus was uh, believing that he was a real person in history, that he had died on the cross, that he was risen again, that somehow there was this uh, community that was gathered around him. I think, though, for me, there was a little bit of a disconnect between what happened on Sunday uh, and the rest of the week. And, uh, and so uh, that, for me, was the big leap to make. And uh, so church seemed to be this thing in a bubble that you did that mm. was disconnected from the real world and actually my um, pretty much the sort of Monday to Saturday existence seemed to be completely separate from church and uh, and that was probably the pattern that had been around for a little bit through school and then when I got to secondary school uh, that started to change you know obviously you get to meet uh, a different sort of crowd and people and uh, I had a friend that I got to know at secondary school and uh, his family uh, were, were Christians um, and so I got to know them and I got to hang around at their place and suddenly I began to see something that probably I just hadn't noticed before in other people and that was that, that Jesus was impacting this family's life every single day. <laughs> you know, their whole life seemed to uh, uh, be orientated around Jesus and his teaching and what he said and, and so I saw something in that family that I'd not seen before and that was kind of fascinating. I ended up going along to my friend's um, youth group. It was a uh, United Wesleyan Reform Chapel. Uh, so they were big on the word. They, uh, they had a group that uh, navigators that yeah. had done discipleship. And so uh, that really grounded me uh, in, in God's word. 
But actually, the definitive moment, sorry, it's a bit of a long story, I guess, but no, it is no, definitive no. moment, um, was around the age of, um, uh, just a teenage, around the age of 13. And my parents' um, marriage had kind of been, been in trouble, really, and uh, fell apart around that time. And I, you grow up thinking that your family is normal because it's all you know. But what I began to realise, uh, particularly in those years, that in various ways my family had been quite dysfunctional. I guess when something like that happens, it can impact you either way. It could make you run away from faith or not believe in God because you're seeing some, some pretty tough stuff happening. But for me, actually, what, what happened was uh, it drew me closer to Jesus. Because uh, I kind of was seeing things that were difficult to work through and understand and, and process. Uh, it was just a really tough time. And so I found myself actually uh, calling out to God uh, in a way that I hadn't before. Mm. And, and, you know, to my joy, and it was a joy, which kind of sounds weird with all of this stuff going on. But, but the joy was that I had this very real sense that, that Jesus was present, that he was real. And actually, it wasn't just the thing he did on Sundays, but he was right with me in the mix of that. And I remember one particular time, actually, going into a darkened room and, uh, you know, it was just a particularly difficult time. I think some arguments were going on. And uh, I remember going into this darkened room, getting on my knees. And at that point, it felt like the world was on my shoulders. There was a huge weight pressing me down. And I just remember crying out to God, you know, Lord, help. And um, all I can say it was as if somebody came and just lifted the load off me. And I could, you know, it was just incredible, really. And that was just one example of, of, of uh, how God was at work. But time and time again, I found God at work, either directly, um, but also through his people. And it totally transformed my understanding of who God was, um, that, that, that he was, uh, that we could be in relationship with him, that he was personal, that he cared about what was going on in our lives. And just the love of the... Christian community around me and the presence of God totally and utterly uh, turned my life around really and I remember at the age of 14 uh, praying to Jesus and I would have said I was already a believer already a Christian but at the age of 14 I, I prayed this prayer which was something along the lines of God you have proven yourself so real to me that as far as I'm concerned you can have the whole of of this life and it just seemed to me you know if we live 70 80 90 years maybe you know, compared to eternity, that's such a little period of time. And actually, once you know Jesus is real, you just kind of go for it, really. And so at the age of 14, I, I prayed that prayer, and uh, maybe we'll revisit that story in one of your questions later on. But that was the um, definitive moment for me. Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. What an amazing prayer. What an amazing prayer. Look where he's taking you now, and look what you're yeah. doing now as a result of that. Yeah. Did, would you say that anything particularly changed um, after that prayer? Uh, obviously, you know, you come to understand his faithfulness and his goodness to you. Um, I think particularly in, maybe in your school years, um, the fact that you were a Christian, maybe known as a Christian at school, you know, that's not always the easiest thing to, to cope with. Uh, were there any struggles in your sort of teens, late teens years with that? Or, or you had that assurance? I think that uh, the assurance of personal faith in Jesus and, and, and what he had done was, 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 was always there. Uh, I wasn't really shaky. Uh, I wasn't particularly, I did, didn't go through sort of a major rebellious time in those years, partly because of the circumstances of my family. Mm. Suddenly I found myself at the age of 13, 14 being essentially 
the you know the main kind of male figure in in the house. I you know I was there as a for my sister who was at the time just a toddler and trying to look after my mum and support in that situation. So had to grow up um, quite quickly. I had to grow up really quickly actually, mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, so there was no major rebellion really. And I think as you go through that time, obviously you're shaped uh, by God's word and by the um, church family, and and I think that's the decisive thing really. So so I was shaped by that. I, you know, you look back and think, was I, you know, an amazing witness in my school years? I don't know. Uh, I think there were probably moments where it made a big difference. I don't think I particularly sort of hid away from it. But I think as the, the older I got, um, you know, like particularly at university and, yeah. and those, those years, I think I was kind of probably stood up a lot more for my faith. Yeah, wonderful. Now, um, you love film and you love watching movies, and at one stage you wanted to uh, work for the BBC. Uh, where, where did that love of film and watching movies come from? Well, I, probably around the same time that everything was kicking off at, at home, I started to really um, just discover this love of film. And I guess some of that probably was escapist. It was wonderful to escape into these uh, you know, entirely different worlds and uh, just be enveloped in whatever kind of movie or watching and uh and that's always been with me really and i just i just kind of love that whole i just love stories i think i love stories and uh and i you know and i enjoyed reading about film and still do so suddenly i i kind of discovered this whole world of, of stuff you know like um you know even film noir sort of you know humphrey bogart and stuff like that in the <laughs> 1950s but going right through to Spielberg and you know I grew up with sort of E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark and all of that stuff and yeah. you know and just enjoy that now with my kids we just love watching movies together and really? so it's a great big passion. And this was something that you wanted to study at university is that was that, was that right? Yeah well I've always felt it's good to do something that you're passionate about and that you love and enjoy and so I thought well if I could get you know paid for this sort of stuff it'd be brilliant. I ended up going to Bristol University and studying drama, which was um, and TV, theatre and film. And the plan was to go and work for the BBC. I just thought that would be really exciting and a good thing to do. But God, God had a, another plan for my life. <laughs> and was that, um, that plan that you just mentioned, did that start to take shape at university? Because often uh, I've had three sons who, you know, just been to university. I know university can be a really tough place. And... Uh, sometimes maybe an ungodly place you know you're away from home and all the temptations that come with that um but was it at uni that you sensed um god redirecting you out of sort of full-time work with uh, filming and drama and bbc um was that happening at uni or was it later on that that sort of desire to to perhaps be more um intentional about what you were going to do with your life came about yeah, so uh, I think I arrived at University of Bristol really, uh, really passionate about faith, and uh, I had very quickly found a, uh, a Christian community in the Hall of Residence that I was at um, for two years uh, of my three years, and uh, so I got to know Christians close by. But also, very early on, I found a really good church, and. Uh, so I went to uh, Christchurch Clifton in Bristol, a well-known student church at the time, and uh, they had a student worker actually, and uh, he was a brilliant guy, and he had, uh, I think he'd been given almost the, a, a task of just looking out for people coming up that he could draw alongside uh, and encourage, 
And, um, and I think it was literally in my first week, I managed to make a connection with this, this guy. And then um, for, uh, for two years, uh, effectively, I met with him weekly and he discipled me. So we literally would meet together weekly and open up the word together and uh, pray together. And it was just a great uh, investment in my life. And actually that really helped keep me on the straight and narrow whilst I was at, at university. And, um, and I loved all the drama stuff. And essentially that's all about communication, which is really useful in my job now. Uh, but it was in my final year at university and um, this guy had been encouraging me after university to maybe take a gap year out and, and do something working for the, for the church. Uh, and I, I thought that was a bit of a mad idea, but you know, he kept sort of just mentioning it and praying about it and, uh, and eventually wore me down. So by the end of my final year, I thought, okay, I can do this. I'll go and work for a church for a year and then I'll, then I'll pursue the BBC career. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I ended up applying for a job at this church in Bristol and uh, they didn't offer me the job. Uh, and I was a bit crushed by that because uh, I thought it seemed to make sense. Uh, and then they gave me an additional bit of feedback and they said, Craig, as we prayed for you, we, we felt we had to ask you a question. So here it is. And they said, have you ever considered being ordained? Because as we prayed for you, we had a strong sense that this was something that you should explore. Uh, and that totally, because obviously the BBC plan was in mind, so this was a real shock statement to make. And I remember walking back through the city of Bristol, a little bit dazed and confused, just trying to process that. And, and what happened over the next few days, really, as I sort of prayed through that, actually in a, in a time of prayer, God took me back to that prayer I mentioned earlier at the age of 14, where I said, Lord, you can have my life, whatever you want me to do. Wow. And I had a strong sense of the Lord saying, well, actually... This is what I want you to do. So at that point, I, I had to either say yes, Lord, and be ready to let go of the whole BBC career and the idea of that and pursue what God was calling me into. And I, and I, and I just, at the end of the day, my position has always been the best place we can be in is to do what God wants us to do. Uh, and so that was it, really. Uh, so I, so I, I explored it. I ended up then going to Canterbury, worked for a church there for a couple of years. Yeah. That's where I met Kim and... Mm. Uh, my wife. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, yeah. just going back to your time at uni, because uh, there may be some people listening that have got um, got um, children that are going off to uni, and uh, you know they may have concerns about that one way or another. What advice would you give them as parents um, for their children going off to uni? Gosh, uh, yeah. Well, um, I've got a few years before my children <laughs> head that way now, but sort of looking back there as well, I. I'll tell you what, as a church leader, what I think is really important is that we invest in our young people now. Because actually, if they have the foundations of faith in place, then going into university, into that environment, we can be confident that they've got that solid foundation in, in faith. Um, and, and I think that when you're rooted in that, then my, my observation is that actually um, our young people are able to navigate some of the you know the temptations and and challenges of university life that come their way so so i think that foundation of faith going into it is crucial i think having uh, uh, people really praying um, for uh, you know for their kids while they're mm -hmm. at university is, is really helpful 
But what I say to all of our young people going to university is in that first term, you know, it's really important to plug into things like, you know, Christian Union or whatever it may be. But I always say the best thing you can do is get plugged into a local church, get involved, go somewhere where they're going to cook a great meal for you, uh, but also where you can uh, encounter uh, good teaching, good support, good, good Christian community that will come alongside you and encourage you. That's what you absolutely need because we can't do Christianity in isolation. We have to do it in community. Yeah. And maybe serve in some way if they're musical or um, yeah, other ways, find ways of serving. Well, I think that's right. Once you plug mm-hmm. into a local church, it's not just about what you um, what you kind of get. You know, we don't want to kind of have a consumer attitude about church. Actually, we it, it's it's what we give as we as we step out and as we serve, and actually as we discover what our gifting is and what God wants us to do in life. I mean, God has a design for all of us, you know. Wonderful. Well, you've ministered in in Kent, down in Maidstone, and in Woking, and obviously you're now now here in Salisbury. Um, You're the the boss of of St Paul's Church, as it were. Tell us a little bit about your work at St Paul's, maybe something of your vision for the church, what's on your heart for the people, and I know that's very wide and very varied with the ages and span and and obviously the, the many different things that are going on at St Paul's, but as, as a leader there, how would, you, how would you sum up your heart for the people that you're leading, the flock that you're leading, and, and the work that you're doing there? Uh, yeah, so we uh, arrived in Salisbury uh, in uh, uh, June 2014, uh, so coming up for three years now, and uh, we love Salisbury, uh, love St. Paul's. For, for me, actually, it is, it is it's my dream job, actually. I love being at St. Paul's. And wh- what I love about uh, the people is that as a church, I think we have a, you know, we have a, a real love for, for God's word. Uh, and also, uh, we're, you know, we're people who seek to be spirit-filled. And for me, if you, that, that for me is a perfect combination as church. You know, as a gathered community who are uh, committed to the word, there's a marriage between the word and the spirit, and there seems to be such life in that. So my heart and passion for for Saint Paul's is that we we really are a colony for the kingdom, if you like. You know, we're we want to see God's kingdom advance in Salisbury. We want to be a blessing, uh, you know, in our local uh, community where we are, which is why we've got uh, RSP two. Uh, community centre and coffee shop which again is like a little outpost and one of the observations there is that that building which is pretty much in operation seven days a week uh, and and one of the things that I constantly hear as people go into that place is that there's something different about the atmosphere there that they don't necessarily see in other places that as they almost walk into the building there's a sense of of peace I think that's brilliant because that's the kingdom of God at work it's not so much the building, but it's the prayer and the people um, and the welcome that's given in that place. So that's one of the things we do. We, we do loads of stuff with the community. Uh, we uh, partner with CAP, Christians Against Poverty. Uh, and that, again, is in uh, partnership with other churches uh, in the city and a little bit wider as well. And so uh, about 80 volunteers engaging in that. And uh, the wonderful thing about Christians Against Poverty is that it, it does practically help people get out of debt, um, it's responding to a major need in society at the moment, but actually um, Christ is at the centre of that. 
Um, so there's no, you know, we don't shrink away from why we do that ministry. It's all about Jesus and, and actually through that practical ministry, introducing people to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so CAP has grown uh, in the last year into uh, CAP release groups, which help people struggle with life limiting addictions and issues. Uh, so that's been a really important work as well. But there are all kinds of things that go on. Uh, in, in the life of the church as well, really. Um, so lots, lots of things happening. Of course. I, I, um, SP2 used to be a funeral home, didn't it? I mean, it, that's what it was before it became SP2. And, and in a sense, that's an amazing picture of the good news of Jesus, isn't it? From death to life. You know, and I think um, one of the things that uh, certainly I think we've noticed about the ministry of St Paul's is you're often talking about the person of Jesus. And uh, I know in my own life, um, I, I grew up in church, but I didn't really, I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know him for myself. And I think that's one of the wonderful things that the church does, is actually to make Jesus real. So people are confronted with the person of Jesus and uh, the reality that Jesus is good news. He is good news. Um, good news, good news, yeah. good news is not an event. Good news is not... Um, a place, good news is a person, and that person is Jesus. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm always telling all our people at, at St. Paul's that actually Jesus is, is, is the one who heads up the church. You know, Christ is the head of the church, actually, in the sense that we all follow him. You know, we all follow the shepherd. Yes, I'm called to shepherd the people, but we all follow the shepherd. And some of the language that we use is about signposting Jesus. Uh, because it is all about Jesus, it's about who he is. Mm. Um, so one of, one of the phrases often that goes through my mind, which um, is something the Growing Leaders course does, which is run by CPAS, is that you know, we, want to, uh, we want to be more like Christ, we want to do more like Christ, and we want to lead more people to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're studying uh, Mark's Gospel at the moment, and um, one of the things you see Jesus doing is uh, calling people to follow him, come follow me. And, and the response of those fishermen um, on the shores of Galilee, it says immediately, and we know that's a repeated word in Mark's gospel, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And it's that, it's that call, isn't it? It's Jesus' call to follow him. One of the things that uh, sometimes uh, I'm prompted to challenge people with, who maybe are not Christians, who've heard of Jesus but they don't know so much about him, is to, to challenge them to check him out. Go and check out Jesus and come back to me um, because I defy you to find anything about Jesus that you're going to have a problem with. Um, and I think that's, it's that we can get sidetracked so often, can't we, and, uh, 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 with other, other things, but actually it's the person of Jesus. He's the one that we need to come back to. He's the one that was prophesied. He's the one that came. He's the one that's with us today. And to focus on him. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I always encourage people who are exploring faith to, um, you know, to begin by reading a gospel um, to, to actually get, you know, get closer to hearing um, who Jesus is, kind of, you know, as disciples spent time with him, we can spend time with him as well. And the best way to do that is really to get stuck into the, to the Gospels. I think that they're so helpful to do that. So I'm all with you on that one, Mike. Now, you have, um, you have children. I have children. And we know that sometimes children uh, are wonderful and sometimes they're not so wonderful and they can be a challenge and um, you know that's just the nature of having kids um, 
in your own life as a, as a father and as a husband, you've got three children, and in some sense maybe you've had some additional challenges with, with your children as a father. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and uh, maybe how that has impacted your walk with the Lord um, and being a father? Yeah, uh, uh, happy to. So I've got three children, two teenagers, and so I'm not allowed to talk about them, obviously, on the podcast because they would absolutely hate that. And uh, uh, and so we've kind of got a deal there. Uh, and, uh, but we're enjoying navigating the teenage years. Um, and then I have a, a daughter who is nine. And for us, there was a, an unexpected challenge with uh, our daughter in that, um, that in... Uh, infancy we just discovered that there were a few challenges health challenges with her and um, it took a long time to sort of work out what was happening actually and it was only when she was about two years old that that actually um, that the you know that the medical uh, profession started to really engage with us and agree that things were not quite right and then we had again just quite a journey of working out what was going on and we got bounced around from hospital to hospital and eventually I think we were at St George's in, in London and then we got a referral to Great Ormond Street and we discovered in the end uh, a diagnosis for our daughter and she has a, a chromosomal disorder um, syndrome called 22Q11 deletion syndrome it just trips easily off the tongue doesn't it it's also sometimes known as uh, de George syndrome and, Basically, uh, it's, it um, can affect anything centrally uh, down, down the body and um, it can have physical symptoms, but also uh, learning delays uh, and uh, uh, at certain points in, in life there can be uh, a high risk of um, uh, some mental health issues and challenges like that. In fact, it's, it's one of these kind of strange things. There are potentially about 400 symptoms of different things that, that, that can happen. And actually, from, from a faith perspective, um, you know, we don't kind of dwell on the potential of what, what might happen. I think one of the things we've, we've learned is actually to, um, to trust God in all circumstances, really. Uh, but there have been challenges. Um, she's had, uh, uh, you know, our daughter's had several major surgeries. Um, uh, and part of that was to reconstruct um, her palate and her mouth, which enabled her to, to develop her speech. So one of the things we discovered was that she, you know, she had problems speaking, and so uh, she's been on quite a journey there through several operations and speech therapy. Mm. And uh, uh, fascinatingly, you know, one of the things that we held on to uh, early in that time was that uh, Kim, uh, when she'd been praying uh, about the situation, had had uh, a, a picture and a promise really that um, that our daughter would would uh, would would sing and would would speak and be able to. Um, to do that in front of people and so we've always held on to that that promise actually and uh, and uh, you know several years later she now uh, uh, her speech is good um, uh, she's you know she's just a really amazing child and uh, we've seen God work uh, through that situation I mean I think as a Christian you're not bulletproof or immune from these things lots of people have stuff to deal with and we're no different but but actually the resources that we have to deal with uh, something like this is incredible. You know, the support of the community. Uh, you know, when we first arrived at St. Paul's, uh, um, we were at a new wine uh, summer event uh, and we had to leave early, mid midweek in our first year. 
to take Natalie to London for, for um, a major surgery. And as we left that event, we were camping with about 100 people from the church. Uh, they gathered around us and prayed for us before we went off. And actually that prayer really held us throughout that surgery and throughout that week. You know, I mean, that's just incredible, really. Mm. Um, mm. So we, you know, we don't, um, it's, it's, it's just the circumstances that we have and we, uh, it doesn't kind of hold us back in any way, really. Mm. We love God, God is with us in it, and we just get on with it. Mm. You know, I'm reminded of that wonderful verse, uh, which you will know, and I'm sure you've preached on lots of times from Psalm 139. Um, you know, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was not one. And there's another wonderful scripture to, to remind us that God is sovereign and God knows what he's doing and he has a wonderful purpose for her. Mm. And uh, it will be exciting to see um, how those purposes are worked out. It's so good. Thanks, Nigel. That is a song that we've often um, gone back to, particularly, you know, well, for all of our children, actually, but um, yeah. especially for my daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Now, um, I want to talk to you about, the, you've mentioned, obviously, the Bible and, and the Word and, and the importance of the Word, but... Um, just, uh, I think it's always fascinating to, to ask people, um, how do you, obviously you're a church leader, you're preaching regularly, how do you, how do you study the Bible? Um, how do you go about doing that? What helps have you found in studying it? Because there may be some things that you do uh, that people may hear and think, you know what, actually, what a great idea, I haven't even thought about that, I need to do that, I want to study the Bible, I know how important it is, but I don't know how to do that. How, how do you go about doing that yourself? Well, I think, um, y you know, uh, Firstly, I'm really, uh, really kind of privileged that part of my job is is that I have the time and space to really be able to get into God's word, and and obviously being able to teach regularly from God's word means that that you know uh, that that I have perhaps a little bit more time than than lots of others can have, and I recognise that that privilege, um, and. Uh, you know, I think that's my greatest kind of love is that, that when I have that opportunity to really open up a passage and, and, and unpack it. And actually some of the things that um, I, I've picked up from uh, Precept and You and Molly really as, as I've been here and modified my pattern. So one of the things I do when I'm preparing a talk is that I will often print out the, the passage, um, leave large gaps between it and do like, you know, a, a sort of lightning precept study on that passage. Mm. Um, uh, which has been uh, incredibly helpful, and I try and um, fully work out what's going on in the text and uh, make all the different sort of references and look those up. Mm. And uh, you know, and you're doing that whole process prayerfully, really, constantly asking the the Holy Spirit to reveal um, His word to us. I mean, one of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to remind us of everything that Jesus has taught us. So, you know, you, you always go into the process of studying God's word, knowing that the Holy Spirit is there just to, to kind of light up the way for you. Um, uh, you know, I think in terms of doing the bigger stuff, I think commentary is really helpful. So I will do some commentary work as well. I think it's really important not to rush into that too quickly uh, and, and spend time just with the, the, the text first. Is that a temptation? Um, 
if you've had a really busy, crazy week, then yeah, it is a temptation, one that you have to try and resist. But I think commentary work is really important as well. But I think that there's a, a process and that comes a little bit later. So I, I would try and do that. And, uh, um, you know, I'm often mulling over passages. Uh, I find that I have to give a bit of space. So I will often do a lot of work. I take notes. So particularly for, um, I mean, I'm talking about talks now for Sunday, but I would usually have about eight pages of notes for a talk, uh, and then I need to sort of have a little bit of space. And then when I, uh, when I come back to preparing that, uh, I, I will type, and often I, I type out a full script, but for me that whole process is doing the work, and then actually the moment when you're delivering that word, you kind of know it, and, and, and that text is in there, and then when you're actually speaking on the day, I find that it's, it's a little bit like the, the picture I would use is you're climbing up to a diving board and then you get up to speak and you take a, a leap off the diving board and you know anything can kind of happen in that moment because you've done the work, uh, you're there before the people, you've prayed, the Holy Spirit is with you mm. uh, and then something off, always, I think, wonderful happens in that moment. Um, so that's a little bit about preparing a talk for Sunday but the other stuff of course which is really important is your own devotional time and I try and be a little bit creative about that so sometimes I will listen to the word on audio uh, um, when I'm out and about doing things I will listen to uh, podcasts talks you know reading all kinds of stuff really fantastic so you're regularly regularly listening to or, or in in the word and I guess that's so important isn't it we read in Acts don't we that um uh, it, when, there, when there was an issue in the church, uh, they raised up people to look after the, the giving out of food, so that so that the leaders of that church community could devote themselves to prayer and to the word. And then we see right after that, um, I think it's in Acts chapter seven, uh, you see the church growing. Yeah. And so, um, <clears throat> but it must be so difficult. There are so many responsibilities that you have, and pastoral and issues going on in the church. Um, there must be a fight for your time uh, in, in taking that time out to prepare, but um, so important it is. Um, do you have a favourite Bible character or, or a favourite Bible book? I'm sure there are lots that may come to mind, but uh, any, any that particularly, you know what, that person or those people, I just love them because of X or Y particularly? Um, yeah, I mean... Uh, whether I go Old Testament or New Testament, uh, oh, you can go both. You so, go both. Uh, I, I mean, where do you start in the Old Testament? I, I guess the um, <coughs> a character that always jumps out at me in the Old Testament is is Elijah. So I just I, I love the story of Elijah, and I think the I guess the different aspects of, of Elijah that I it's just the sort of you know he's. His, his story is incredible what he goes through, isn't he? I mean, there's just the extraordinary um, encounter that he has on Mount Carmel where he's really the sort of tenacious prophet there. You know, he's just uh, incredible, isn't he? As he takes on the prophets of Baal there, mm. and it's so powerful, you know, and the, the language which our translations don't always get when he's literally taunting the, you know, the prophets of Baal. And he's saying, you know, why, why is your God not doing anything? Is your God on the toilet? Is basically what he's saying he's to He's asleep, them. yeah. Yeah, is he asleep? Is he, well, I think that's the polite way of saying, actually, he's on the toilet. <laughs> I think that's what the text is actually saying. Uh, but, um, you know, and obviously the dramaticness of, of him pouring the water over 
the offering and then calling on God mm-hmm. uh, and the fire comes down and that's that's I just you know it's this incredible moment faith isn't it I it's, mean what, what amazing faith faith to, that God is actually going to do this yeah. in front of all these witnesses yeah. you know what's going to happen if God doesn't come down with absolutely <laughs> you know it's a really sort of defining moment but then immediately after that incredible moment you know the fear of Jezebel mm. over him where he's He's fearful and he runs away and he's absolutely uh, 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 at the point of brokenness and deep depression sets over him. And just the way that God so tenderly then uh, deals with Elijah so lovingly, so gently. And, you know, that, you know, through, you know, just through the still whisper through that. I just love that moment. Not in the, not in the raging wind or the fire, but in, in that still small voice, God speaking to him. And gives him directions to what to do. Doesn't leave him there, but says, yeah. "Right now, I want yeah. you to go back up, and I want yeah. you to go and appoint this person, appoint that person." And you know, it's yeah, it's uh, it's this sort of ups and downs of life, isn't it? But wherever you know, he's, he's had this amazing mountaintop literally experience, <laughs> and then you know, he, he he rushes away down to the south of the country, and uh, but God's still there. God's still, wherever he is, whether he's top of the mountain or whether he's down well south, and, and as you say in depression and fearful, God is still there with him. And uh, what a message for us today. Yeah, yeah. So Elijah, I, I think, you know, great. So he's, he's one of my your Old Testament, Testament. Okay, any New Testament ones? I'm the rector of St. Paul's Church. And I, I love being the rector of St. Paul's Church because I love St. Paul. I mean, I love, so that for me, that's brilliant. Because actually, I, you know, I know some people perhaps mm. kind of give, Paul a bit of a hard time, yep. the Apostle Paul a hard time, but I just love that, I, I love his story of conversion. Uh, you know, this was, you know, while he was Saul, he was opposed, he was set against the church, you know, holding the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen to death, uh, and then he has that Damascus Road encounter with the risen Jesus, uh, and it transforms uh, his life. And actually, the, the whole of his ministry, uh, you know, is, is, it comes through almost the prism of, of that Damascus Road encounter where he's met the risen Christ and, and the humility, actually, of Paul and the, the heart of Paul, the, the passion of Paul, the prayers of Paul. I mean, you look at the prayers in uh, Ephesians, you know, they're just such a gift um, to the church. I love the way that he, he um, uh, mentors Timothy as well. You know, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in, mm. in, in faith, in speech, in life, in love and in mm. purity. Mm. It's just, just such good kind of advice. I, so I love the, the whole character of Paul, the, the life of Paul and the ministry of Paul. It's certainly an adventure, isn't it? The, yeah. You know, it is, as you say, as you look at what's happened to him, someone who was persecuting Christians, you know, um, voting that they be put to death. Um, and I guess, you know, as you've been speaking there, talking about him, it, it's an encouragement to all of us, I think. You know, we may know people who are very anti-Christianity. They may be, have a real downer on Christians or, or Christianity or, or Jesus even. And yet, God in his mercy is still able to reach those people who are very, or in that position, very anti and can, can um, do an amazing work in the life. I often think, you know, the people that are most anti are most close to 
um, uh, submitting. I don't know whether that, whether that would um, you know, chime with you at all. But, well, um, I think Paul never forgot his former life, who he was and how he'd felt. And the transformation that had taken place in him was always before him. You know, it's why he calls himself the least of the apostles, because he remembers that journey that he's been on. And there's such a humility about that. And I guess when he looks at his own life, his, his message is that there's absolutely hope for, for everyone. If, if God can take someone around, you know, who is breathing murderous threats, it's pretty strong language. Yeah. And actually to turn that, that life around in, in the way that Jesus did in, in Paul mm. is, is, is just incredible. So mm. I think, you know, he constantly, I think he thinks, gosh, if Jesus can do that for me, look what he can do for you. And I, I would say the same, you know, what he's done for me, he can do for anyone else. Okay, Craig, do you, do you have a favourite Bible verse that you would like to share with us all? Uh, I'd love to, Nigel. It would have to be one from the Apostle Paul. Uh, and so I'm going to choose um, uh, a verse from Philippians uh, chapter 3. And uh, it's uh, Paul pressing on uh, towards the goal. Uh, and uh, he says this, Philippians 3 verse 14. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. That's the NIV translation. I think the ESV translation is, it talks about the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. I press on towards the goal to win the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's my favourite verse for you. Fantastic. Craig, it has been not only a pleasure, but a real privilege to hear your story. And um, it's it's wonderful to be part of your congregation and I uh, just want to wish every blessing for you and your family uh, here at St Paul's and in your future ministry. Thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure Nigel, thanks for your friendship and for, for this time and for the coffee and chat. Okay, God bless. You have been listening to The Bible and Me Podcast by Preset Ministries UK. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button now and consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry or make a donation, visit www.precept.org.uk or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at PreceptMinUK.